Happy weekend, everybody. This is Chuck here bringing you my selection for the Stuff You Should Know Select episode on this fine Saturday. Uh, this one is from April 5th, 2011. Sherpas, colon, Warm, Friendly Living. And I know for a fact Josh came up with that title because I thought it was very fun. And it really kind of embodied what uh, Sherpas are all about. Um, you know, Sherpas will lead you up Everest or uh, maybe some other mountain range in the area. And the more we dug into Sherpas, the more we realized just what um, warm, hospitable, amazing people they are. And uh, it's really easy to overlook the Sherpa because you will often hear about the uh, the wealthy climber of Everest uh, and not much about the Sherpa that really got them there. So this is our bid to shine a little light on the Sherpa. So here we go with Sherpa's Warm, Friendly Living. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the Sherpa. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Did I just say Sherpa? No, you said welcome to the podcast. Why would you say welcome to the Sherpa? Because the Sherpa is an, a nation of people and also a last name and also an occupation. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, that's the podcast. <laughs> I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Tinsig Norgay Bryant. (laughs) Sherpa? Yeah. Yeah, Chuck, we're we're talking about Sherpa today. Yeah, is it Sherpa or Sherpas? I have no idea. Because I see both in this article. I do as well. All right. Let's find out, shall we? If everyone will just hold on a second. (laughs) Are you actually looking this up? Chuck, most people do this before their hit podcast. Have you <laughs> have you ever seen? Uh, well, I'm sure this won't make it in. Uh, you never know; it'll never make it in. I bet you it does. Have you ever seen um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the first one? Uh, that was not the first one. Yes, it was. That Raiders of the Lost Ark was yes, the first one. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Temple of Doom was two. What was I thinking? I don't know. Uh, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh yeah. Okay. Scores of times. So you know when he fi- he goes to meet Marion for the first time after like ten years after jilting her. Yes, the drinking scene. Yes. The guy, the huge guy that Marion is drinking with, or I guess in a drinking contest with, yes. it's like they kept hearing me say Chuck over and over again, right? <laughs> um, that, my friend, was a Sherpa. Was it? I'm pretty sure. He looked Mongolian to me. No, they were definitely in like Nepal. Okay. Yeah. It, it even said Nepal. Remember, he, he flies in the plane, boop, and it's like Nepal. The red line takes him to Nepal. Yeah. All right, so let's call him a Sherpa. So Sherpas is plural of Sherpa. That's what I thought. I thought so, too. Um, the Sherpa people are actually pretty fascinating. They're pretty isolated, um, and they haven't been where they are, which is the, the base of Mount Everest in the um, Solu Kumbu area, region yeah. of Nepal for more than actually about 500 years. And when they arrived in the Solokumbu region, they found it uninhabited. And the reason why is because the Sherpas are pretty much the only people on the planet, besides maybe Ethiopian Highlanders mm-hmm. or Peruvians in the Andes, who could conceivably live in this area because, again, it's at the foot of Mount Everest. Yes, and we recorded a podcast on Tibetans in altitude sickness. Yeah. So if you want to know all about that, refer to that podcast. But Josh, you're right. They migrated uh, from Tibet, uh, from the province of Kham, 
to the northeast corner of Nepal around the 16th century because of uh, warfare. Yeah, and I, as I understand, they're very peaceful pe- uh, people. Oh, very. So they would have been fleeing warfare. I would say so. Yeah. Not running toward it. <laughs> right. Headlong. <laughs> so um, they uh, migrated there. There was a lot more uh, like forest and wood and fuel uh, for fuel at the time, which was good. And they could grow wheat and buckwheat at the time, and that's about all they could grow, but that was enough. Right. Later on, potatoes really changed the way they do farming because they, they grow a lot of potatoes now. Yeah, the, I think the potato was introduced in the um, mid-19th century, and that kind of changed everything, or 1880, I'm sorry. Um, but if you think about it, this, these people, well, when they first arrived in the area, they moved to um, uh, uh, the Kumbu Valley, which is higher up, actually, than um, the Solu area. And it's about um, between 11,000 and 13,000 feet. And they're like, this is a little too high. Yeah. Everybody's a little sick. So we're going to move a little further down to the Solu region between 6,500 and 10,000 feet. It's still extremely high. Um, it's still extremely rocky. And they whip this part of the Himalayas into shape. They created um, terraced farm fields. Guatemala, baby. Remember that? Yeah. Down a slope, you can create, you can farm on the side of a mountain. People do it. But um, think about this. I mean, like, how did they figure that out? I'm very curious. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's not rocket science. You need flat land. And if you have a steep uh, side of a mountain and you cut into that, you can create a a series of steps, Hmm. essentially, which is Flat land. Jerry's in there laughing. Yeah, I know. I would have been in trouble. Jerry's like, I've been to Guatemala three times. I know all about step irrigation, and I know how to do all that stuff. Right. I would have been like, man, I wish it were flat around here. (laughs) I guess I'll just sit here until I die. Right. (laughs) Um, So You'd be a bad Sherpa. Oh, I'd be terrible at it. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'd be terrible at it is because I will get in my car to drive 500 feet from, say, store to store. Do you do that? Yeah. Like over there at the Edgewood? Like you'll go to Target and then you'll drive to Kroger? Uh, I haven't been there in a while, but I have, I have, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, like, I, yeah, I'll walk. I walk more now than I ever have before in my entire Does life. Does it depend on, like, the weather or what's going on? Definitely depends on the weather. Schedule. It depends on my schedule sure. very okay. often. I, I get that. If I'm in a hurry, I might do that. Right. I would make a terrible stripper, though, because they don't have wheeled anything there. A terrible stripper? I would make both. <laughs> Terrible both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I know what Aaron Cooper is going to make this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, as I just said, I think I, sh- I think it bears reiterating, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Joke Guy, <laughs> there are no wheeled anythings there. There's no cars. Yeah. There's no wheelbarrows. Yeah, they don't even use wheelbarrows. Which, now we've reached another reason I would be a terrible Sherpa. They have to carry everything. I can barely carry a thing of dog food out of the grocery store to my car. <laughs> and that's like with a cart involved. Oh, goodness which has me. wheels, which they don't have <laughs> in the uh, Solukumbu region. That's right. They carry everything, Josh. And they use, uh, we actually saw this in Guatemala too, the um, plumb line? Trump line. Trump line. Yeah. It's, um, the plumb line is a little different. Yeah. What they'll do is... <laughs> They'll, uh, let's say, get a big load of firewood, and they'll, they'll, they'll wrap it up in, in, in a... Spank it on the bottom. <laughs> spank it on the bottom. They'll wrap it up and so they can wear it on their back in a big bundle, and then attach to the top of, of you know, let's say they, they lay it in like a hammock and fold that over, a hammock-like thing. Mm-hmm. And then that uh, is attached to a band that 
you know, it's like a headband. And so like, it goes around their head, and it right. takes a lot of the weight off their back. And we saw these in Guatemala, dudes walking up the road, and I thought, man, look at that. That's like ancient engineering still yeah. in practice. And you're like, man, I want to, I, I got to do more of that. And you got back here, and you're like, give me a cheeseburger. <laughs> In my Jansport backpack. <laughs> Anybody who's ever uh, seen the front cover of um, Led Zeppelin 4 is familiar with this concept as well. Did, was he wearing one of those? It, he should have been if he wasn't because that's a big old bundle of sticks that guy's carrying. That was a bustle in his head, Joe. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Sherpas w- can whip a mountain into farmland. They can live on buckwheat and then... Several hundred years without the potato, and then the potato. And yak. Yak. Milk and yak, yak meat. Right. Yak and yak. Yeah. They walk everywhere. Yak butter. They carry things everywhere. Um, With yaks. They And they they are basically a mountain. They're mountain folk. They, ha, they speak a, a Tibetan dialect that's virtually their own. They don't have a written language. No written language. Until the 1960s, there was no formalized education. Um, they just lived, they carved a very meager existence out for themselves. Yeah. And thanks to uh, a dude named Sir Edmund Hillary, they now have the uh, foundation that he set up. And we'll get to Edmund Hillary in a second. But everyone, come on, you know who he is. He's the first man to ascend Everest with Tenzig Norgay Sherpa. Yeah, to summit. To summit. What did I say? Ascend? Yeah. No, nah, I mean, what's this? you got to get to the top. Right, or else what? He just blew 65 grand. <laughs> yeah, that's about how much it costs these days. Yes, it does. So uh, through his foundation in later years, he, he became to love the uh, peaceful Buddhist of, uh, of the Sherpa people there. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to set up a foundation. We're going to do things like bring some schools, bring some hospitals, give these kids access to health care, things like that. Mm-hmm. So he did that, and that helped a lot, although nowadays, uh, you know, the schools aren't in great shape, evidently. Uh, to, it's kind of hard to get there. So um, they're, they're doing what they can. Right. You can take the folk out of the mountain, but you can't take the mountain out of the folk. You know what I mean? That's right. Uh, they are very friendly, very peaceful, um, very compact, very strong, great attitudes. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and that's not just Chuck saying that. Um, Chuck, you're basing that on the guy who basically took these very isolated, happy, um, self-sustaining, self-sufficient um, people, mm-hmm. mountain people, um, and introduced them to the world. Or no, introduced them to the people who would introduce them to the world, right? Right. What is the, the Englishman who's credited with saying, hey, if you want to get up Everest, you need yourself a Sherpa? That was Alexander Kellis, not... Tenzing Norgay, not Sir Edmund Hillary. Right. Well, Tenzing Norgay was a Sherpa. He's far too modest, I, I'm under the impression, to have been like, you want to get up Everest, you get yourself a Sherpa. Sherpas, don't, they're not big self-promoters. No. The English uh, have been the biggest promoters of um, Sherpas. And um, Alexander Kellis was his name? Uh, yeah, Kellis. He uh, tried to make it up Everest and failed, but um, there, was a, there was a point in time where... Well, if you look at a mountain, it's not like a cone. You know those um, styrofoam cones that you can get at, like, the craft store? Yeah. That have, like, actual volume? It's a, it's a cone. Yeah. A mountain is not like that. It has all sorts of craggy peaks and different faces. Sure. And if you go up one side and make it up easy, it just that doesn't mean that you can go up any other side and make it up easy, right? Yeah. So the, the place where the, um, the Sherpa 
live is actually a pretty good way to get up Everest. But it was closed off. Nepal as a country was closed off to the rest of the world until I think 1949. Yeah, Everest was confirmed as a highest peak in 1865, but it wasn't like all of a sudden the floodgates were open and every uh, Brit in the world said, I must conquer that mountain. That They said that, but... They, they were like, but how to get to it? Right. And, and they, they 1949, thought, it happened. Right. But in between, they're like, well, let's just colonize that place and then figure out how to get up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. And uh, when India began uh, colonizing, uh, I'm sorry, when England began colonizing India, Darjeeling across the eastern border of Nepal was a big popular tourist spot for British military, uh, political officials. That's where big wigs, that's where they met uh, the Sherpa. And that's sort of where the mountaineering profession for the Sherpa kicked off because all of a sudden there were Englishmen saying, I can now get in here to ascend and summit this mountain. Right. But I need some help because I'm not carrying all that junk. Yeah. And it's not like Sherpas are the only ethnic group around Mount Everest. But as people soon found, like you said, they were sturdy. They they are compact. They can carry tons of weight and they have a cheerful attitude. So uh, Alexander Kellis introduced the, the climbing community, uh, the Western climbing community to the Sherpa. And in short order, um, Sherpas became extremely famous after, like you said, Sir Edmund Hillary uh, summited mm-hmm. um, Mount Everest. Yeah, and he was uh, one of 400 people on that expedition. I, did, I never knew that. I just thought it was Sir Edmund Hillary got in his car in England and drove to Nepal and said, Hey, Tenzig, take me to the top. Yeah. But it was a big group of people, and they were the only two that made it. Right. They they were the last ones, and Crazy. they just kept on going. But yes, it was Tenzig Norgay Sherpa. That's his last name? Yeah, because as you said at the beginning of this, it's it's a it's a group of people, it's a profession, and it's a last name. That's right. Um, so at that from that moment on, everybody knew what Sherpas were, right? Oh, yeah. They, they were no longer confused with alpacas. No. By the, in popular culture, people were like, oh, they're a group of people. Yeah. Literally the people from the East. That's right. And they, uh, like you said, don't, they're not grandstanders. They don't get a lot of attention. And I made a joke. Um, I believe it was either dead bodies on Everest or the, the Tibetan altitude sickness about Sherpas being unsung at the time, mm-hmm. about how you always hear about, you know, the, the Indian or, or the Brit standing on top of the mountain and you don't see the Sherpa behind him right. carrying all their junk. And that's really true because when, uh, well, you know what I mean, uh, when Hillary ascended and summited, he got a knighthood and Norgay got an honorary medal. And you think, well, of course, I mean, they're going to give the British guy the knighthood and they're going to give the foreigner uh, a, a medal. Untrue, because Sir Edmund Hillary is from New Zealand. That's right. He wasn't British. So technically, he wasn't a, uh, a citizen of uh, Great Britain. 
and neither was Tenzing Norgay, and they still didn't get the same thing. Yeah, it was it was called the British Everest Expedition, was the 400 people, so that's why I think a lot of people probably thought Hillary was uh, a Brit, but he was not. But again, um, our Western culture uh, is a little different from Sherpa culture. Uh, they, Like you said, they're not grandstanders. They're not publicity hounds. They are, um, they do, the ones who are involved in climbing and trekking do make a pretty substantial amount of money, especially in comparison to uh, what the average person makes in Nepal. Yeah, they make about two grand for a trip. Right, and the the gross domestic product per capita of Nepal in 2007 is like $331. Yeah, that really puts it in perspective. It does. They're rich by other standards, I guess. Extremely rich, very wealthy. Um, But they, they, the... I guess in addition to making money, they uh, they help other people ascend Everest to attain their personal glory, right? To for the other people to attain their personal yeah, sure. glory, um, which is kind of there's a lot of uh, dichotomy between how the Sherpa view Mount Everest and how they interact with it. That the Western influence kind of puts them in this weird position because they are uh, they they follow a form of Tibetan Buddhism, yeah, um, which says that you should perform selfless acts and help others, right? Yeah, and and being at the top of Everest to them means you're closer to enlightenment, right? If the people are going to climb up anyway, you might as well go with them for two grand, sure, sure, but you might as well go with them to make sure that they don't kill themselves, right? Yeah, very selfless people. It is. But at the same time, they're helping the West kind of exploit Everest. It, some people worry that the Everest experience is being cheapened since since Hillary um, summited Everest. I think like more than 2,300 other people have, right? Kind of yeah. loses its um, closeness to the Buddhas, when you know all these other footprints are everywhere, and there's a couple hundred dead bodies on the on the mountain. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Norgay kind of summed up there how they feel about Everest when he called it. When they asked him how he felt about being up there, and he he likened it to a mother hen, mm-hmm. and said, "What else?" Uh, he said that this was um, quote warm and friendly living. How about that? Yeah. And then Hillary shoved him back down. <laughs> He's like, "Quiet, said, you get out of my picture frame, <laughs> Norgay. Here's your medal." Uh, so, like you said, the um, the region now, Josh, because of the massive amounts of uh, tourism, and not massive like Grand Canyon massive, obviously, but still for Mount Everest, it's a lot of people going there trying to climb it. Um, we did talk about um, pollution there now. And so the very thing that brings the uh, Tibetan Buddhist Sherpas enlightenment has also kind of denigrated the area somewhat. Yeah, well, it's about 20,000 20, people pass through that area per year and now you can go play pool you have internet access you have the trappings of modern living mm-hmm. and you also have the drawbacks of modern living deforestation yeah pollution yeah exploitation that kind of stuff right that's right and this is we should point out in uh Sagarmatha national park where about 3500 sherpas live and Sagarmatha is the uh, word for Everest, right? The uh, the Sherpa themselves call um, Everest Chomolungma. Chomolungma. Chumbawamba? It's close. No. But that's not it. Okay. Chomolungma, which uh, means roughly goddess mother of the world or nice. mother hen. Uh, you want to talk about a couple of famous Sherpas? Yeah. We can talk about Edmund Hillary all day long, but you never hear about Appa Sherpa. 
Yes. And all he's done is ascend and summit Everest 17 times. More than anybody else in the world. Not bad. Yeah. What about Babu uh, Chichiri? Chihiri Sherpa? Yeah. Camped on the summit of Mount Everest for 21 hours without oxygen. Yeah, usually what happens when you climb Everest is you get your picture made and you say, wow, this is really unbelievable. This is amazing. All right, let's go back down. Right, and you have 5 million canisters of oxygen yeah, at your I'm disposal. Dying and right. I'm really high. Yeah. Uh, who else? There's a Lok, Lokpa Gelu Sherpa uh, who holds a world record for the fastest Mount Everest um, ascent, 10 hours, 56 minutes. In 46 seconds. That's a lot. Not That's, bad. Wow. You have Ming Kipa Sherpa, uh, who, oh, what's the big deal with Ming? Ming just climbed Everest at the age of 15 years old. Not on his Xbox in real life. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then there's Pesang Lambu Sherpa, who was Chuck. The first woman Sherpa to yeah, summit Everest. Which apparently um, when women started climbing Everest or sh serving as Sherpas, to climbing expeditions um, in the 70s, there was, uh, the, this is probably the biggest problem internally for the Sherpas that, um, you know, Western tourism was, was having on their culture. Yeah. You know, a, a woman's place traditionally is at the farm in Sherpa culture. On the side of the mountain. And I guess there was some static for a while, and, and then finally, you know, more and more women started doing it, and were doing it successfully. Yeah. And um, that was that. Yeah, and, and evidently um, when the uh, husband, if the husband is the, the Sherpa worker, um, goes on one of these trips, then the, the female becomes the head of the household at home if she's not a Sherpa herself and will take care of things uh, just like the husband would. That's nice. Yeah. You got, what, what else is there? I well, love these people. I, I think we would be, you have a, a fond place in your heart yeah, for Yeah, I mean, they, they, they remind me of the people of Guatemala, you know, kind of short and friendly and... Warm, friendly living. Stocky. Yeah. It, it makes me kind of wonder. There's so many similarities, Chuck, that... Huh? 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. be, because think about it. Everybody calls the people the Sherpa, right? Yeah. They're people from the East, but that's in reference to where you are in Solu Kumba, Kumbu. Uh, right. Okay. What were they called before they moved west? The My, people? Mayan? Maybe. <laughs> uh, finally, Josh, for my part of this podcast, if you think this the, one is off the rails, if you think the Sherpa have it bad with not getting any recognition, there's also something called a porter. Yeah, and a lot of Sherpas grow up serving as porters. As porters. That's basically the job below the Sherpa who does even more of the heavy lifting and gets even less money. And less oxygen, less clothing. Yeah. And other outerwear. Yeah. And there's an actual international porters group, right? Yeah, protection group um, that are advocates for their safety and fair wages. Because obviously if you've got a very poor person doing a lot of hard work, they're probably being taken advantage of in some way. So, Chuck, we would be remiss to do a podcast on the Sherpa and Everest and Hillary um, and not mention the Yeti. 
I don't know much about the Yeti. I didn't look at that. So the Himalayas are the home of the Yeti. The abominable snowman? It's another way to put it. Yeah. Which is basically like the cold, extreme cold, high altitude version of Bigfoot. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I just always thought that's what we thought of, but I didn't look into it. No, it is pretty much. Oh, okay. Um, it's a biped, a very furry, heavy, large biped that's mysterious and, and lives out in, out by itself. It's Bigfoot, but in the Himalayas. It's like in uh, Empire, like on Hoth. And it's more like the abominable snowman in the Rudolph uh, Christmas specials. They look kind of like the thing in Empire. Kind of. Yeah. Who looks like? Yeah. Tenzin Norgay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, uh, Hillary himself was actually a believer in the Yeti. He went back after summiting Everest. He went back again in 1960 to look for the Yeti because he'd seen Yeti footprints, what he took to be Yeti footprints. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Interesting. He found nothing, though? He didn't. And a lot of people think that these were just some other animal's footprints that melted in the snow and expanded as uh, the snow melted. Right. Who knows? Yeti again, you have taught me something, my friend. <laughs> Thank you for that, because I couldn't figure out how to wrap this one up. I feel like we should apologize for the light nature of this, but we just recorded uh, right before this on the nuclear disaster in Japan, so I think we were rife for a little riff. Plus, also, we should point out, in true Sherpa style, Chuck. They'd want it this way. Well, think <laughs> about this. They, um, there, there, there are all sorts of trappings of Western influence and degradation of culture. Um, there is a dwindling of population. Yeah. I think at its peak, this area was home to twenty-five thousand people. Yeah. Now it's down to thirty-five hundred. Like you said, in the um, in the park, right? Yeah. Uh, the the there was a, a National Geographic survey of Sherpas saying. Are you concerned about Western influences on your culture? And they were like, eh, not overly. Can you hand me the TiVo remote? <laughs> You're sitting on it. Do you have any Mountain Dew? Or Vault? So that's it. That's Sherpas. If you want to read more, um, there's actually some more in there, especially um, more on the uh, their Buddhist religion, I believe. We didn't cover that fully. Um, yeah, there's more goodness in there for sure. Yes. You can type in Sherpas or Sherpa, if you want to be safe, in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Written by Kristen Conger of uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You. That's right. That's true. Excellent podcast. Yes, it is a great podcast. And they did a great job at South by Southwest. They did. Um, And since I said handy search bar and South by Southwest, uh, that means it's time for listener mail. That's right, Josh. Uh, This is a little more Disney dirt. And most of the Disney dirt we got wasn't very good. We got a bunch of, um, yeah, there's really nothing going on there. There's underground tunnels, but that's no big deal. Yeah, a lot of those. And it's really not like you guys think. We finally got a pretty good one. And this is from M. And M um, seems like she would have been one of the employees that I might have been hanging around with that know about the dirt. Some people apparently don't even know about this stuff. And I hope we don't get in trouble for this. Uh, hey, oh, guys. Wow, <laughs> hey guys, I just finished listening to the Tickling Podcast. Excited that you asked for Disney Dirt. As a cast member at the Happiest Place on Earth for almost four years, I gleaned some interesting tidbits of information. Uh, for starters, in a workroom behind Pirates of the Caribbean, there exists an infamous Mylar table, which has a long-standing reputation for being a favorite place for cast members to be amorous with one another. Ooh. After hours. Uh, I can't imagine how clean such a table might be, but many cast members have been known to participate in the tradition, 
simply for the sake of being part of the legend. Sort of like the Mile High Club, I guess. Huh. Uh, on my attraction, the Jungle Cruise, uh, it said that one can't be a real skipper until they have urinated into the river. <laughs> no. Such he says. I uh, suspected as much about... You know, yeah. you can you can create the uh, what, what is it the the most what the place happiest on place the on happiest earth. place on earth. But if you staff it with <laughs> bored and nihilistic twenty year olds, yeah. it's going to end up like this. Yeah, someone's going to pee in the river. Uh, most of the time, this is done before or after park operating hours when a skipper can take out a boat alone and relieve him or herself, often into the hippo pool. As you can imagine, it's harder for girls to participate in this rite of passage out of sheer logistics. But I do know some women who have managed to become real skips. I think it'd be more physics than logistics. She says the mechanics boggles my mind. Now for the gnarly stuff. Under Space Mountain, there are stored 60,000 body bags. Supposedly, they're there in case of a natural disaster or some other emergency where people may be trapped inside the park for an extended period of time. I don't believe that. I don't believe it either. Uh, the food freezers in the storeroom down the hall are also over six feet tall for storage, if you know what I mean. It's quite morbid and a popular site for telling ghost stories. I've got plenty more. If you want some off-the-record ghost stories, this was on the record. Jeez. Uh, or personal anecdotes from my time as a jungle cruise skipper, I'd be happy to share. Keep up the great work from M. Well, uh, I would love to hear the off-the-record ones. Me Chuck. too. What, what is her name? M. I'd like to take her to lunch. Yeah, well, please at least send us an email, okay? I don't think we'd be allowed to go out to lunch with that girl. No. Our significant others are killed. Yeah. Um, Chuck? Josh. You got anything else? Nah, I'm done. All right. Um, what should we call for here? Uh, how about if you've ascended Everest? Nah, that's boring. Okay. <laughs> um, if you are interested in your state seceding from its current geographical boundaries, we want to hear why. That's right. Uh, send it in an email to stuffpodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.